Hello, I'm Abram Van Ingen. And I'm Joanne Diaz. And this is Poetry for All. In this podcast, we read a poem, discuss it, learn from it, and then read it one more time. And today we'll be discussing Ben Johnson's elegy titled, On My First Son. Joanne, would you read this poem for us? Yes. On My First Son. Farewell, thou child of my right hand, and joy. My sin was too much hope of thee, loved boy. Seven years thou wert lent to me, and I thee pay, exacted by thy fate on the just day. Oh, could I lose all father now, for why will man lament the state he should envy? To have so soon scaped worlds and flesh's rage, and if no other misery, yet age. Rest in soft peace, and asked, say, Here doth lie Ben Jonson his best piece of poetry. For whose sake henceforth all his vows be such, as what he loves may never like too much. Hmm. I don't know why that got to me that time. I've read it so many times. It's so good. It's such a good poem. Maybe we should begin by talking about just who exactly Ben Jonson was. I mean, what period are we talking about? Who is this writer? Ben Jonson is a poet we should all know much more about. Not just a poet, but a great playwright as well. He was a contemporary of William Shakespeare's and in his own lifetime was absolutely as popular as Shakespeare. He was second only to him. Uh, They knew each other. They circulated in the same circles. He was born in 1572. He died in 1637. He, as I say, he was the author of, of many, many plays, very satirical in nature. He also worked in a genre that is non-existent today, but was very important in the court of King James. He was responsible for several courtly masks, M-A-S-Q-U-E-S, and these were very elaborate, expensive plays that were performed usually just once with extravagant costumes, music, set designs, all in an effort to impress the king, King James. And to give you just a sense, these productions would often cost millions of dollars in today's money. But he also was a prolific poet. Um, He wrote tiny epigrams. He also wrote narrative, longer narrative poems. And in his own personal life, he was a legendary self-promoter. He was also a convicted felon. In a duel, he murdered a fellow actor named Gabriel Spencer. And as part of his punishment, he had an M for murder branded onto his right thumb. And he was just a very cantankerous individual. And uh, everyone who knew him wrote about him as kind of a rascal. I mean, so you've got this cantankerous uh, murderer (laughs) who who, who, who who writes, uh, who duels, and who writes uh, basically the blockbusters of his day, and is, is uh, plays full of satire and mocking and jokes. That's the kind of character that we're dealing with, and then this is the kind of poem that we read. And so how do we square these things? This is a, a devastating poem in so many ways. It's also important to keep in mind a larger fact of um, Benjamin Johnson's cultural moment, which is that his son, Benjamin, who's named after him, he was seven years old when he died of the plague. You know, 
All those years in graduate school, and even until recently when I would study the Renaissance, I would read that word plague and just think, okay, plagues happened, there were outbreaks, you know, I, I didn't mm. think much of it. But this was the bubonic plague. This was the plague that ravaged Europe on and off for over 300 years. And um, to think about the profound anxiety and insecurity that that must have created for Benjamin Johnson, William Shakespeare, and his contemporaries throws all of their work into an entirely different light for me as a reader. And for us, all of us in a pandemic, it, it's a very poignant poem, no? It's a poignant poem that is an elegy, but is also not quite an elegy, in the sense that elegies often have a kind of, well, the goal in some ways is a kind of resolution or a processing or a, a consolation to the grief mm -hmm. that begins the poem. And in mm -hmm. this poem, there is, in a sense, no consolation. There's a kind of stoicism at the end that, that he, he sort of pulls back from loving anything too much. But there isn't exactly a consolation in the poem. And the other thing is that the, the, the poem though an elegy is also a certain in a certain sense an epigram so an epigram is a is a short pithy verse quick satirical twist at the end usually the subject is the single thought or an event and then you have this other thing that happens sort of within the poem which is an epitaph or basically the the, the short little thing you would inscribe on a tombstone and he, in certain sense, writes the tombstone in the middle of this poem. And so you have epigram, epitaph, <laughs> elegy. It, it, it's, it's a poem in search of a form in many mm. ways. Yeah, this is not our first elegy that we've discussed in this podcast. We looked at one by Anne Bradstreet. We looked at one with Laura Van Proyen several weeks ago. Um, and each of them is so varied, is so different. And I'm fascinated by what you're saying. I mean, I know we're hurling a lot of literary <laughs> terminology at our listeners. And of course, we'll, we'll supply some more information about these things on our website. But I, I love what you're saying about the poem is is masterful. It's absolutely so precise and so beautifully done, but it never quite, it both exceeds and never quite reaches uh, what it needs to do in any one of those three things, epigram, epitaph, elegy. Maybe we can get into the poem yeah. and see what it is doing. Farewell, thou child of my right hand, and joy. My sin was too much hope of thee, loved boy. What does this first sentence achieve, Abram? What do you see it doing? Oh, so much happening here. So first of all, child of my right hand is the translation of Benjamin. That's what Benjamin means. And and the, this boy is named Benjamin. Uh, he's named Benjamin. Mm -hmm. So so and there, there's a kind of literal, you were my strength. In fact, I named you for my strength. Um, yeah. the, the biblical Benjamin is also the most loved child. Yeah. Uh, right? So it's it, there is all, so many references going on here. And there is that the second line builds on that. You were the child of my right hand since but my sin was too much hope of thee. I invested too much into you. I, mm. I, I was so proud of you and all of your accomplishments, but also so in love with who you were that in a certain sense it had to be taken away. I mean, this is... There's a lot going on with that phrase. It reminds me, so the other elegy that we did, one of the first elegies that we did was Anne Bradstreet's elegy for her grandchild, Elizabeth Bradstreet. And there she has the line, my heart's too much content. And yeah. you here you have, my sin was too much hope of thee. And there is this, this sense in the period that if you, even with a child, uh, if you invest too much in them, if, you, if, if, they, if they take the place of God, 
then God might take them away to turn you back to God. Some people sort of embraced that theology wholeheartedly. Other people sort of invoked that theology uh, without necessarily embracing it. And I think you have a kind of invocation of that theology in this poem here. So I think what I hear you saying is, to some extent, this first sentence almost functions like a confession, doesn't it? Mm. I mean, he's, yeah. he's saying goodbye, but he's also confessing that he sinned. Yes, and, and, and I think the, the good pie part that you just mentioned is really important, too, because part mm. of the power of this is that he is saying goodbye, but he's saying goodbye to the child, as though yeah. the child were still alive, yes. as though he has not fully let go. So that's, in poetry, we call this apostrophe. By talking to the child, there is, in a certain sense, an unwillingness to let the child go. Thou, child, farewell, thou, child of my right hand. And I love this little bit in the first line, and joy, as though just this little extra. So, so it's not just that you are the strength of my right hand, and joy. So not only is the child his joy, but it's almost like he's saying farewell to joy itself, you know, mm. as he buries the child. It's just so powerful. And I love what you say about apostrophe, of course, because that is any moment in a poem where the poetic speaker is addressing someone who's absent, right? And this mm -hmm. is such a powerful tradition um, in elegy, this attempt to speak to the dead, this attempt to still try to reach out to them with language. Yeah, and then we move to these next two lines, which take us in a totally different direction. Seven years thou wert lent to me, and I thee pay, exacted by thy fate on the just day. What words uh, strike you here? Lending and payment. I'm interested in those because that sounds like a legal or a financial transaction, that there's a kind of metaphor he's tapping into there. Do you want to say something about that? The lent, first of all, as, as though life is not owned by ourselves, as though it's, it's all on loan. And, and who would be the loaner? Well, well, in a certain sense, God then loaned him this child, uh, mm. thou lent me. Seven years, though, is particularly interesting. Of course, the child is seven years, so there's a literal meaning here. But there's also this reference, seeming reference, to uh, Deuteronomy 15, where every seven years, all of the debts were meant to be uh, relieved. And here, there's a certain sense in which God doesn't let up. Mm -hmm. uh, that is, that God has made this loan, and, and at the end of seven years, instead of freeing uh, the father from the debt or whatever, he exacts payment. He takes him back, exacted by that fate on the just day. And so there's a sense, there's almost an implied sense here in which God is not following God's own laws that he set up, that this he was supposed to let this child free, and instead he took him back. Oh, my God. So there's a way in which this is revealing the speaker's anger at the mm -hmm. injustice. It says on the just death, this is an unjust death, you know, the, mm -hmm. the, and the real deep frustration is so palpable in, the, in what you're describing there. And then, oh, could I lose all father now? For why will man lament the state he should envy? Oh my God, I love this. And this is where, when I read this, these two lines, I hear Johnson, the dramatist. I hear Johnson, the great actor. Um, that, oh, oh, mm -hmm. could I lose all father now? Oh, 
It's an exclamation that's very open, it's very long, it's full of grief and agitation. And when it appears on the Renaissance stage and elsewhere, it's almost a placeholder for when the actor cannot find the words. Um, It's beyond speech. But then he comes back to speech. Oh, could I lose all father now? Could I just lose that identity altogether? Yeah, and and, and again, it reminds me with this resonance to Anne Bradstreet. Why should I once bewail thy state? This sense in which, uh, let's assume that you are now in heaven. Isn't that a good thing? And yet it's not, <laughs> right? Yeah. It's it. Th- th- this question is a question that belies itself. That is, you don't ask this question unless you are lamenting. Right. And is the question, is he basically saying, if I could just lose my identity as a father, I wouldn't have to be so sad. The way I read this line is, why should a person lament the state of someone who has gone to heaven? Shouldn't we envy somebody who goes to heaven so quickly? And yeah. sca- and then that that, that makes the, the next two lines then then sort of play that out. To go to heaven so early at the age of seven means you get to escape all of the rage of the world, all of the rage of the flesh. And and even if you have a, a good life, even if you don't have to face the world's and the flesh's rage, you're still going to hit misery when you get to old age, and yeah. you you get to escape that. So so isn't it isn't it better to die young? Isn't it isn't it in fact great? to die at seven and go to heaven and escape all of the misery of the world. So it's a very dark view of the world. Yes, and that was very common in the Renaissance, this notion of the contemptus mundi, right? Contempt of the the earthly trappings of the world, of our body and its degradations over time. That was a very common sort of trope. But also, it's as if he's putting himself in that frame of mind in order to cope with this loss oh, too, totally. right? Yeah, totally. I mean, it's not as though he actually believes himself here, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, would, wouldn't he rather have the child back? I mean, of that's course. that's obvious, right? And so, so he's saying all of this to get himself past it, and then and then at that very moment when you think maybe maybe he has gotten past it, you get these lines: "Rest in soft peace," and asked, say. Here doth lie Ben Jonson, his best piece of poetry. So there, again, he's speaking directly to the sun. And he's saying, rest in peace. That's a very common phrase that we have to this day. And basically, the sentence is saying, rest in soft peace. And if you are asked, say this. Right? And he's, mm-hmm. he's compressing the language because, of course, he's fitting into the meter. But if you're asked, here's what you need to say. Here doth lie Ben Jonson, his best piece of poetry. And that is in quotes. Here doth mm-hmm. lie Ben Jonson, his best piece of poetry, which functions as a true epitaph or what one might write on a tombstone. And it's amazing because, of course, Ben Jonson is a great poet, but of all that he's written or created or made, this is the very best that he was capable of making. And, you know, just for the etymology of poet, our word poet comes from the Greek um, poetis, which is from poene, which means to make. So here, Ben Jonson is maker of poetry, maker of this son, and the two become kind of intertwined there in a really interesting way, right? And Jonson, of course, 
thought very highly of himself. Yes. Right? Yes. It's not as though, uh, you know, this is a very humble man who then says, you know, the child is the best piece of poetry. No, this is a guy who thought his poetry was great and wrote a ton of it and was great. And still, it is all worthless compared to this child. He, w- he would, in effect, trade it all in to have this child back. Yeah, that's right. And then let's look at how the poem ends. For whose sake, henceforth, all his vows be such as what he loves may never like too much. So this is a little bit, this could go in a few different ways. It's not entirely clear what he's saying, and yet in many ways it's the most important part of the poem, right? This is where the poem lands, you know? For whose sake, henceforth, all his vows be such as what he loves may never like too much. And this is one uh, where we can see um, Ben Jonson's most explicit debt to the epigrams of an ancient Roman poet named Martial, M-A-R-T-I-A-L. He wrote many, many epigrams, these short, witty um, expressions, many of which had to do with erotic love or political corruption or sociability of various kinds. But several of Martial's epigrams had to do with the death of young boys. And this is one that um, Ben Jonson is borrowing from in a very explicit way, in which Marshall is mourning the loss of a young boy and saying, well, I've learned from this death to not love so much. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a a direct sort of stoicism as the, it's not consolation. I wouldn't call it that. it's It's a way of saying, the only solution is to love less. What's interesting to me is like, is that a choice you can really make? I mean, it's, it's sort of like this, aha, I know what I'll do now. I'll simply shut down my emotions. But it's hard to imagine him actually following through on a thing like that. It sort of feels like another of these momentary stays against confusion, as Robert Frost says. This, this sense of, of, yes. of a kind of moment of saying, okay, fine, I'll rest in this. But, but you know he's not rested at the end of this poem. So that I agree with that. And even if the poem suggests a shift toward stoic, calm acceptance of his son's death, uh, even if it suggests a more guarded approach toward love in the future, I'm not sure I believe it, even though the poem is so authoritative in its tone, even though I come to this poem in order to understand his grief, I think what I'm realizing as we talk about this poem is that Johnson is not offering an authoritative insight into grief except that he's guiding us toward what the experience feels like, Mm -hmm. which is difficult to measure, difficult to contain, even as he tries to contain it in this brief poem. There is this, this sense of incredible disorder and this attempt to ma- i mean how much order do you need the- these couplets one after another iambic pentameter one after another this sense of like if i could just master this if i could just put this in order if i could just make it rhyme <laughs> yeah. i will be able to move past it and and uh and the final sense you get is that no you you've got a, a momentary stay against confusion but the the confusion is the thing that lasts yeah yeah it's incredible with all that in mind, uh, would you read the poem again so we can think about some of this? Yes. On my first son. Farewell, thou child of my right hand. 
and joy. My sin was too much hope of thee, loved boy. Seven years thou wert lent to me, and I thee pay, exacted by thy fate on the just day. Oh, could I lose all father now, for why will man lament the state he should envy, to have so soon scaped worlds and flesh's rage, and if no other misery, yet age? Rest in soft peace, and asked, say, here doth lie Ben Jonson his best piece of poetry, for whose sake henceforth all his vows be such as what he loves may never like too much. That was a beautiful reading. Thank you. For more about Ben Jonson, epigrams, epitaphs, elegies, apostrophes, and all the other <laughs> <laughs> and all the other language that we hurled at you in these past few minutes, please visit our website at poetryforall.fireside.fm. And you can subscribe to Poetry for All wherever you get your podcasts. The last time we checked, we had passed over 30,000 individual downloads, uh, and we love that you're listening. Please leave us a review and let us know how we're doing. Thank you for listening. <laughs>